If you thought HQ was a great idea and wish you could play games like this for your business, check out The Q. The Q has built B2B tools to allow any business to embed interactive video directly into their app or even on the web. The Q has trivia, predictive sports games, popular choice games, and much more. Check out www.theq.live and see if you can get in the game. That's www.theq.live. In late December of 2018, the HQ staff was still grappling with the aftermath of Colin's passing. Making sense of life without a beloved colleague and friend is disorienting. But at HQ, it was especially complicated. In his brief run as CEO, Colin had paved the way for a more sustainable company and instilled a new hope in the staff. Now they were left grieving him as an individual and grieving his vision for HQ. Rusty Weiner said that finding someone to do the same job as Colin just seemed completely impossible. He was, from the beginning, the founder of this thing. He was one of the two minds behind its inception. And there's a bunch of smart people put in place below him, but I don't think there was a a structure set up for someone to come in and take on all his specific duties. Even so, when you're in the business of running a live trivia contest every evening, quite literally, the show must go on. The weekend Colin died, HQ's board held an emergency meeting to make Russ the company's interim CEO. A week later, HQ Words launched to the public. The first episode went on immediately after HQ Trivia. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the newest, the hottest, the wordiest game to drop in the HQ universe. I'm talking about HQ Words Beta. If you're playing tonight for the first time, this is so exciting. I'm thrilled to have you here. It was a fun game, and a small group of loyal word nerds thought so too. But its launch was overshadowed by Colin's passing, and HQ Words never caught on like HQ Trivia. The first game did relatively well with almost 300,000 players, but eventually viewership dipped to 100,000 people a game and its airing schedule was reduced to just Tuesdays and Thursdays. HQ Words wasn't going to save the company. According to the host, Anna Roisman, no one had really expected it to. Originally, they told me they wanted it to be a smaller pool of people because then they'd win more money and... So no one ever, like, pressed it to be, like, they weren't, like, waiting for words to get bigger than trivia or to get millions of players. They kind of designed it thinking it would have a smaller audience. And I think that was what happened. In the larger scheme of things, Words was meant to be the first of many in this lineup of interactive shows that Colin had planned to roll out. The company had even shut down its international spinoffs in part to refocus its resources on new productions. In the ideas that employees shared with me, you can make out a vision for a lineup of basic cable programs, updated for the modern-day cord cutter. There was a Last Comic Standing-type program, a merch drop show that sounded a little like a younger QBC channel. My personal favorite was like a Judge Judy for petty millennial problems, like we broke up and he still uses my Netflix account and it's screwing with my recommendations algorithm. But Tim Donnelly said that under Russ, all the production work for these shows slowed to a crawl. Once the new year started, it didn't seem like anything new was happening. And he just kind of wanted to double down on trivia alone and kind of make trivia better. 
On January 7th, after everyone had come back from their holiday vacation, Russ held a meeting with all the department leads to discuss the company's future. Scott crashed it. I wasn't invited to these meetings. This one, I basically just barged in and sat down, and I said I'd like to participate here because I had some questions too. In the meeting, Russ addressed the main issue at hand, money. Because the audience sizes were still declining, there were fewer blowout-sponsored games. They needed to strategize how to even out their operating costs, what they spent on office space, payroll, web hosting, and prizes, with their revenue. Russ brought in their money guy to show how they could get back on track, and he presented some optimistic projections. Scott says that it may have been this meeting or another not long after that, where Russ actually predicted the company would sell for between three and five billion dollars. Asked for comment, a representative for Russ said, quote, that plan is still in process. This presentation was met by nervous questions from the leads. Would HQ be able to attract more investors? What was the plan for future growth? How could they move past the fact that morale was at an all-time low? All those questions seem to circle back to one very big one. How long did Russ plan to remain as interim CEO? In that meeting, I mean, everyone basically spoke up and said, what's going to happen? What does interim mean? How long? When can a search start? Can you start the search tomorrow? And Russ would say, well, it's a board decision. The board has to decide. I was like, Russ, you are the board. It's you and Jeremy. You know, you could ignore Jeremy's phone calls for the next year and remain the CEO and never start the search if the board never meet, you know, never talks about it. It was hard for anyone to have full confidence in the company's current state, given all that it had endured. But according to Scott, he and the head of product, James Rubin, left the meeting feeling especially unsatisfied. James declined to participate in this podcast. There's this uncertainty that was really killing us. We needed to know that there was a plan, that there was going to be a new CEO, or we were going to sell the company, or new money was coming in, because, uh, hello, you know, these are our jobs here. So he and James decided to do something. We took it upon ourselves to organize the employees and draft a letter that would go to the board to basically say, it's Russ or us. I'm Melissa Bereznak. This is Boom Bust, the rise and fall of HQ Trivia. It wasn't just Scott and James who were worried about Russ's leadership. Pretty much every former employee I spoke to for this podcast remembered the aftermath of Colin's passing as HQ's darkest period. The company felt like it was in a total freefall. And now they were reporting to a CEO who HQ's own board had deemed ineffective less than a year before. People were worried about job security, but they were also worried about losing the company that they had worked so hard to build. Some of them had equity and were still hoping it might actually be worth something. And not only had everyone worked overtime to make this app function and entertain people every night, but Vanessa Valorio, the office manager, said that they had grown very fond of each other in the process. We worked hard. We were essentially a pretty tight-knit group. You know, you become family with your coworkers. Most modern-day workplaces, especially startups, have a default narrative they use to get more from their employees for less. That work is so much more than just work. 
that it's a meaningful achievement worthy of driving employees' lives. They encourage their staff to care so deeply that they eat, sleep, and breathe their responsibilities. In this work-centric narrative, a company is not just a company, it's a family. This messaging tends to work on people because yes, it's generally good to be passionate about what you do for a living. And if someone spends a bunch of late nights at an office with their colleagues, chances are they'll probably grow close to them. I might add that when equity is a factor in all of this, employees can almost calculate the cost benefit of all that time they put in. When things are going well at a company, when it's all sunshine, rainbows, and venture capital, this messaging makes a lot of sense. You get what you put in, your hard work pays off. But when a company's failing, that narrative falls apart. You're working hard toward nothing. So why didn't all these dissatisfied HQ employees just pick up and find a new job? I've spoken to a lot of them about this, and my best explanation is they drank the Kool-Aid. They'd seen firsthand HQ's ability to reach people. Under the right leadership, they thought this app really could be the future of TV, that they could be one of those rare startup employees who end up rich enough to retire at 22, or if not that, at least afford a mortgage. And dreams of grandeur aside, their jobs were also far more interesting than your average production, research, or engineering gig. Who wants to write code for a B2B cloud computing app when you could instead bring a game show to life every night? One employee told me that each game of HQ felt really precious because it was like they were seeing all their inside jokes distilled into 15 minutes of live entertainment each evening, like a highlight reel of your day that thousands of people also love to watch. They were passionate about their jobs. They bonded with their coworkers. They'd put in the hard work. And now that things were going downhill, they were mobilizing. Teaching a staff to feel ownership over a company also means that when things go haywire, letting go is easier said than done. In my interviews with former HQ employees, more than a few of them wondered out loud if their real problem was that they cared a little too much about the company. And no matter how right they felt they were at the time, a lot of them were wary of going on the record about rebelling against their employer. But one of them I spoke with really embodied the plight of the deeply involved worker. His name is Alex Friedman but everyone calls them muffins. This past fall, my producer Noah and I traveled to San Francisco to visit muffins. He'd just moved across the country for a new job into this teeny tiny ground floor one bedroom on a busy street. In fact, it was so small that Noah and I had to do some noise management. We do unplug fridges. Do you have a lot of stuff in there? Perishables? Not a ton. Would you mind if we unplugged your fridge? If you can get back there, I've never tried to move it. (laughs) Muffins' living room was almost completely bare, aside from a desk and a computer and two emblems from his time at HQ. One was a pair of those special Air Maxes that the whole staff got when the company partnered with Nike. The other was an HQ-branded tote bag. Before he came to work at HQ, the company, he was a fan of HQ, the trivia game. He was hired during the app's growth spurt, and he threw himself into the high-pressure startup atmosphere. He also loved his colleagues. All those people were just so great. Everyone was kind of some of the nicest people I've ever met. And it just seems like such a rare thing, because sometimes talent kind of precedes social skills a lot of the time. People can get away with a lot more when they're talented, but HQ just happened to be like every person, every position was just such a nice person. After Colin died, Muffins noticed a shift in HQ's culture. Leadership, that is Russ, stopped communicating with the staff at large. 
and Muffins no longer felt like his feedback was valued. Under Russ's direction, his job stopped feeling gratifying. It wasn't worth all the extra time. People definitely lost heart in a way where it was harder to get people in, invested than they were earlier on to get people on board to try new things. People felt a little less involved and just like, let's get out of here at the end of the day. And like, I, this thing is not giving much to me, so why should I give it that much, you know? We'll be right back. Water Cooler Trivia is a weekly trivia contest for work teams. It's super customizable, low stakes weekly fun. And contests and results are even sent over email or Slack. Remote work can be isolating. So it's especially important now for teams to look for new ways to connect. And a weekly trivia contest always sparks conversation. You choose the categories and difficulty for your team and can even choose the timing, like a Monday morning contest with results sent on Tuesday. You can even choose a personalized category that Water Cooler Trivia will write for just you each week. It's crazy easy to get started. It takes just under 20 seconds and then you receive a join link to share with coworkers and then the weekly quizzes start. Tons of companies are digging water cooler trivia from teams at Lyft, Nike, Bain and Company, all the way up to a group of high school teachers in Arkansas. A more connected work team and weekly trivia fun? That's a win-win scenario. Head to watercoolertrivia.com boom and you'll get four weeks completely free. No credit card required. That's watercoolertrivia.com boom for four free weeks. Around late January, early February, Muffin started to think about leaving, and he confided in James Rubin about it. I just sat him down and said, like, hey, man, I'm thinking of leaving. Why shouldn't I? And, you know, he sat me down and just told me, you know, there's so much potential here. I know you feel it, too. And it's like, I do. Yes, I still felt it from the early days. That's the moment that he decided to stay and fight for the company he loved. I think it was legitimately just the existential threat that HQ is starting to fail. And if it fails, I don't get to do the work I enjoy with the people that I've grown close to and are some of the nicest people I've ever met. And so instead of leaving, I thought maybe, you know, at least try to do something. As Muffin soon discovered, few other of his coworkers had similar ideas. In mid-February, the Wall Street Journal had published a big expose that sought to explain Colin's death and dove into his rocky relationship with Russ. The public's reaction to the story only seemed to validate many employees' concerns about him as CEO. At this point, both Scott and James had been organizing the staff. James and I both sort of came to this idea almost independently, and we basically combined our forces and said, we both want what's best for the company here. We both know that this is an untenable situation. So we need to express to the others here how dire this is. Scott, James, Muffins, and some other dissatisfied employees threw around a few ideas for how to do this. Scott, at one point, tried recruiting other hosts for an on-air strike. Matt Richards, who was an alternate HQ trivia host at the time, recalls Scott pitching him the idea. I remember being in a dog park and getting hit up to boycott the games and I said, no. I said, I'm sorry, I can't, uh, why? <laughs> he went on to tell me what his deal was with, with the company and why he was pissed off. And I was like, yeah, I'm sorry that you feel like that. That's got nothing to do with me. 
Could you imagine if I asked somebody to stop working because I had a problem with something? That was like the weirdest phone call I ever had in my life. After realizing that people were, first and foremost, concerned about keeping their jobs, everyone settled on the idea of writing a letter to the board, which now consisted of Russ, Jeremy Liu, and as of that February, Tinder CEO Ellie Seidman. Colin's dad, Alan, was also sitting in on the meetings remotely. Alan said that, separate from the office rebellion, the board was grappling with the task of hiring new leadership, and Jeremy and Russ were butting heads. You could cut the air with a knife. It was total tension. You didn't have to sit through many of these to know that these two weren't going. The staff wasn't prepared to wait that process out, so they got to work on this letter. It was a very soft letter. You know, I think it was more just, we're not getting transparency, we're not getting these things. What can we do to solve this? It wasn't say, Russ has to leave tomorrow. It was just, we need to know there's a search happening tomorrow. At the very least, begin a search. We need a solid, a professional CEO. Let's get someone who knows what they're doing. That's all we wanted. The idea was that people would sign the letter to signal their support and convince other employees to join the movement. But in the end, it would be delivered to the board without revealing anyone's name, just the number of people who agreed with it. So this small rebellion, what some had dubbed HQ, got to work selling this idea to other people in the company. We would take some meetings with people outside of the office and just, you know, get a coffee, get some lunch or something and just explain, you know, here's what's happening. Some employees, like Rusty, wanted nothing to do with it. When it came to my desk, I just let it go on by. I personally didn't see a need to have a rebellion. I do feel like when Colin died, that Rust people kind of like vilified him because they didn't know what to do with their emotions and changed their sad feeling about the loss of him. For anyone that had been on the side of trying to do the mutiny, they kind of got even angrier at him. And I always kind of thought that was unfair. Others latched onto it as an opportunity to change the workplace. The meeting Scott mentioned took place everywhere, in elevators and bathrooms, at bars after work. They would go to each other's apartments. There were times that employees even rented rooms in nearby offices just to vent. Another person who took part in some of these gatherings told me that during all of this, employees grew more and more anxious. It was kind of scary, they said. You didn't know who to talk to. You didn't know who was who. It was nerve-wracking. In the end, they were able to convince 20 of roughly 35 HQ staffers to sign this letter. But before the HQ contingent could deliver it, Jeremy Liu flew to New York. It appeared that Jeremy had caught wind of the rebellion. Some employees had already had one-on-one conversations with him about Russ. And at one point, a few employees had even called him from one of these offsite meetings. This prompted the board to act before the letter was sent. For the record, Russ said, through a representative, that neither he nor the board knew about the letter. As one employee remembers it, when Jeremy arrived at the office in late February, he and Russ went into a glass-walled conference room. They engaged in a long conversation, and then, eventually, they emerged to ask Ben Sheets, the vice president of engineering, to join them. They talked to Ben for a bit, then went out to grab Nick Gallo, the director of content. And then the four of them spoke for a while. I should say, Nick declined to participate in this podcast, and Ben didn't respond to multiple requests for comment. 
Not long after that, they called an all-hands meeting with the whole staff to make a few announcements. The first was that a CEO search was underway. And once they found that CEO, Jeremy's fund, Lightspeed Ventures, would provide up to 18 months worth of runway to give them a chance to turn the company around. Sources say Jeremy told the staff he would leave the board once they hired a new CEO, given all that had transpired in the past year. Tim Donnelly remembers the announcement was clearly reacting to the rebellion without outwardly acknowledging it. No one was like, hey, I heard that you guys are leading a coup against me. And we listen to your concerns and we're going to deal with it. It was just kind of like, okay, we're going to do a CEO search now. They described the whole process about how they're going to get all these candidates and blah, 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 and this whole timeline. The second was that in the meantime, HQ would operate under a new leadership structure. Russ would no longer run the company on his own. So it went from just a CEO to now Russ, Nick, and Ben as this triumvirate running the company together. What exactly was to come from this new triumvirate, or three-headed hydra, as one employee described it to me, was made apparent on March 1st, not long after that, all hands. That day, three employees were called into one-on-one meetings with HR. One of them was Muffins. I mean, there wasn't much fanfare to it. You know, they, they called us each into a room, told us we were let go, uh, gave us paperwork and an HQ bag to put our stuff into. And uh, that was kind of it. Yeah, I mean, they didn't tell us why we were being let go. They just said we were being let go. So you felt it was direct retaliation for the letter that you were laid off? It certainly felt like it. Yeah. How did you feel about that entire experience? I mean, I was sad because I wasn't going to get to work with all these people anymore. I was a little bit, like, relieved Hours later, after the sadness had left, like, well, at least, you know, I'm done dealing with it. It's over. Because I was already planning on leaving before. And, you know, this was a definite answer. It was like, okay, it's done now. So you can just move on. Through a representative, Russ said that Muffins was terminated as, quote, part of a larger reduction in force for cost cutting. That night, Muffins came home with that HQ tote on his shoulder and did what he always did. He played HQ. I still love it. I still play it. I will probably keep playing it until I can't play it anymore. It's still a beautiful thing to me that was a product of people I loved that I worked with. So it still represents something good. And I don't think I would let one person or, you know, whatever sort of ruin that. Muffins and the other people who were let go that day weren't the only employees to leave HQ following this leadership change. In March 2019, Scott received a job offer to host a baseball show called Change Up on the sports streaming service DAZN. It's paying better. The job is six months of the year, so I'm only working six months. And it's baseball. I mean, it's my true love, even more than fish. Baseball, baseball, baseball. If it was hockey, if it was football, basketball, I wouldn't do it. But baseball. So... I told the guys at HQ, I said, look, I got this offer. I have to take this thing. It's a dream job. He didn't want to leave HQ altogether. After all, this was the vehicle that launched his career and changed his life. So he proposed that he still stay on for the Sunday night game. Sunday night, I'll do HQ. It's the biggest show still. You can blow that up as the Big Scott show and have the other hosts host the other shows, and it's no problem. And that simply wasn't going to work for them. He asked to host just one last game as a way to thank his HQDs and pay tribute to his time in the company. They said no to that, too. I was never given a send-off show. 
I asked for one, and they refused. Soon after, TechCrunch published a story detailing the drama that led up to Scott's departure. It mentioned that Matt Richards would be replacing Scott as the main host of HQ Trivia. When Russ was reached for comment, he told the reporter that Matt had pulled higher than Scott among HQ users on a survey the company had run. Scott returned the jab later that day. In a tweet to fans, he lamented he wasn't given the courtesy of a farewell show. A representative for Russ said that, given Scott's expressed desire to return, HQ didn't think his exit was permanent, so didn't consider a farewell show. Not long after that, Scott noticed something weird happening. All evidence of his history at the company was being systematically erased from the internet. It was like Back to the Future when Marty looks at old photographs and sees himself disappearing. He asked some friends who still worked at the company what was going on. They would tell me, hey, I was asked to ban your name in the chat. I spoke to a few employees who confirmed that not only was this true, but that this directive extended to other social media accounts. I did all these GIFs that had like millions and millions and millions of plays through Giphy, and those were all wiped, deleted. All the pictures on the Instagram deleted. I mean, you know, you ever hear of Joseph Stalin? (laughs) Whitewashing? That's exactly what happened here. It was like memory wipe, as if the millions of fans and players would forget who I am. It didn't matter how many hours HQ's employees had given to the company, how well they got along with their fellow coworkers, or even how much they'd charmed the public. They may have thought of themselves as one big happy family, but at the end of the day, even with the executive committee in place, this was Russ's show. The rest of the staff was just working on it. Next week on Boom Bust, HQ Trivia. It started feeling like the ship was going down. Once Scott left, like that was kind of like a final straw for me in terms of like being like a super fan. HQ didn't die of natural causes. It was poisoned with a lethal cocktail of incompetence, arrogance, short-sightedness, and sociopathic delusion. Saddened to see it finally succumb, sadder still for the good and talented staff abruptly left in the lurch after being gaslit and lied to. Boom Bust HQ Trivia was written and reported by me, Alyssa Bereznak, and produced by Noah Malale, Isaac Lee, and Amanda Dobbins. It was story edited by Amanda Dobbins and sound designed by Isaac Lee. 